you know, I trust my children now with making some buying decisions and it actually has turned out to be a good thing in my life. Yeah, it's always good to trust people, especially um, younger people. You have to at some point. You might as well trust them when you at least can kind of monitor them a little bit, right? Yeah, and as a young person, you actually feel empowered to make decisions. Mm -hmm. Then you also feel the consequences of that. And it helps you feel, as a young child, responsible for those things, and you understand the consequences. So today, I think we will talk about something called... Why constraints are not constraining. Today on Curiosity Continuum. Hey everybody, this is Brian. And this is Josh. Thank you for joining us today on Curiosity Continuum. For those of you tuning in for the first time, Curiosity Continuum is a podcast and movement started by two lifelong friends who want to spark your curiosity, help you integrate information, and enhance your everyday contextual awareness in a constantly changing world by sharing conversations with you that explore, examine, and reframe common practical topics. If you want to receive updates when new content is available, and we really hope that you do, please be sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you can receive these notifications when there's something new to listen to. We appreciate you, our listeners, for engaging with us and sharing your own curiosities with your friends and with us as we explore topics together. And always, you can find us on the interwebs, curiositycontinuum.com, and has every link that you want there, maybe one that you don't. <laughs> Just kidding. Yep. But we, we want to hear from you, and we want to engage with you soon. So this was a conversation that Josh and I were having, I think, prior to recording another podcast. We thought this would actually yes. be a good one. So, yeah. Josh, would you please share the story about school shopping when you were young? Sure. So, like, it wasn't all the time. school. I mean, it was when we were about middle school age and older. Um, you know, school shopping, back to school shopping was a big deal back then. I don't know if it's it's such a big deal now. Um, Brian maybe can, you know, chime in if it is, but... I mean, is it, Brian? Well, it's it's important just because your children grow out of clothing. <laughs> right. I think that's what it yeah. was back then, too. But yeah, I mean, I don't have kids, so I don't really like I'm not like in tune with like, is it this big deal like it used to be, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so um, my mom and dad, we had they had this plan at one year because we wanted to see our my grandparents lived about five hours away from us. So it was easy to it wasn't easy just to get together for like whatever. So we'd only see them a few times a year. So as we got older, Duluth, Minnesota was about halfway. It was about three hours from each side, kind of in the middle. And so my my mom was had this idea, like, give us our school money, take us to the mall up in Duluth, and then my grandparents would come over and we'd have like this whole day of shopping, right? So we'd leave our house at like six in the morning. And we'd get there at nine when everything's like still not even open. But my grandparents were there because I, you know, my grandpa loved walking like malls and stuff like that before they opened. So we, and she would give us all the money and say, okay, guys, because uh, I had two brothers. So there was three of us. And she said, we're going to split up and we'll meet back here around like 11 or so for lunch. But you guys can just go out and buy your own school clothes. And um, my mom shared this years later. That my grandfather, the first time we did that, that he said, oh, this is going to be a bad thing. They're just going to go out and buy, you know, sporting equipment and video games. 
and just crap they don't need. And my mom said, well, then they're just going to wear that crap to school, I guess, because they're not getting any more money. This is it. And uh, to my grandfather's actual surprise, we all came back with all the clothes we needed, plus actually some really good deals. And I did have, I personally did buy a video game usually, but um, I would use (laughs) that with the extra money I kind of had because I was like buying like, you know, jeans back then were like two for $30 and there was lots of sales. <laughs> Back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, two for thirty dollars jeans. Two for thirty dollars <laughs> jeans. Remember that? Yeah. Or like, I buy a pair of shoes. Like the pair of shoes was the biggest investment. Yes, totally it was, was. It was like fifty or sixty dollars, and they had. I knew I had to have a pair of shoes, so it was like, I knew my mom required certain things. Like I had to have, you know, jeans, pair of shoes, and some shirts. I could maybe skirt away with not getting underwear. And then I could use that. I could use that money for the game. So that's what I kind of did. That's really funny. You know, my mom did something similar with me too. She had a budget. And so she said, you know, here's your budget. And she wanted me to buy certain things. Now, I think eventually she just gave me a big budget. But I think in the early days of my of childhood, she gave me like budgets for each item. Right. right. I'll spend up to this much money for a pair of shoes. I will spend up to this much money for that. Some of that, honestly, was to kind of stem the like brand name cult. Yes, because there was that real brand name. Like, we grew up in that time. Brian and I are not like super old, but we grew up in that time when brand names are really breaking out and getting like celebrities attached to them. Yes. And so, like, for example, like a pair of Jordans, which was even a little later than even this, what we're talking about. But that was Nike Air Jordans, right? Yeah, but it. But it was, that was the brand. And so you might spend, you know, $200 on that pair of shoes. But you got you a pair of shoes. <laughs> but you, you know. got your pair of shoes, but you got nothing else. So <laughs> Right. I remember uh, I had to buy Lee jeans, mm-hmm. you know, when there was a lot of Jabot jeans going on. Oh, yeah. I enough to remember yep. those things. It's like going, yeah. $90 for a pair of jeans or yeah. 30 <laughs> And my mom said, there is no way in heck I'm buying those jeans. I'm like, but mom, you know. <laughs> That was also the age where I started to earn an allowance. And so what I did sometimes, knowing that the school shopping season came up, I would plan. I would say, okay, like I want to probably spend a little bit more on shoes because I want maybe a cool pair of shoes. Uh, I actually really liked British Knights and I bought British Knights because I liked the look of them. I didn't realize like they were like the cool thing. I just like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I have a very narrow foot and it actually fit my foot well. But I ended up with these British Knights, and everybody thought, oh, it's so cool. It has a little diamond on the bottom and stuff. And I didn't know any different. I'm like, I just like the shoe. <laughs> yeah. You know? But what it required was a good exercise in budgeting and like actually problem solving within a constraint. Because anything like in real life, there are limits. There's like limited resources, right? You only yeah. have so much money. You have only have so much time. You only have so much mental energy to put towards something in and, any and, given and day. And time and money are probably two of the most constrained things in life. Yeah. I when mean, even yeah. millionaires have budgets. They're just bigger, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so but some people, how well, how could they have bought like a Lamborghini? It's like, well, to them, it's like a rounding error in their budget, you know? Right. I don't think Jeff Bezos is counting, hmm, is that Lamborghini actually going to dent my is my that two hundred fifty thousand gonna gonna kill me or not? No, because you know he's <laughs> worth like a hundred billion dollars, so it's just like, and counting. Yeah. So after yeah. giving like half of his stuff away, so <laughs> exactly, I think he's financially speaking, he's doing fine. Mm-hmm. What happens when you have 
actual boundaries on something, it forces a really realistic, applicable like decision-making matrix that you do. Yeah. And it actually is, it helps you in the decision-making process. Like oftentimes uh, we did a, a podcast called uh, Constraints of Creativity where we talked about, you know, when you actually put the constraints on something in a creative process, you're actually more productive. Well, the same thing applies in any type of decision-making, whether it could be like a life decision or it could be a business decision. Right. If you understand the parameters at which you're making it, right, then you also know when you step outside of that. Again, this is the contextual awareness thing. Like, you know, well, if I didn't have any constraints on money, I'd just buy whatever. It's like, well, right, but you do. And what are you going to do with that? Right. And everyone has constraints. So not to think that you don't have constraints is probably not realistic. And so it's really good to put that constraint on you because that opens the creative part of yourself to mm-hmm. where now you're going, okay, I know what the upper limit is, but what can I dance around in this lower level kind of thing? And yes. it sounds funny, but it is true. And sometimes those things actually <laughs> where it says, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. I'm telling you, um, so Josh and I helped my son Isaac a couple of years ago with his science fair project. <coughs> yes. And that particular science fair project, which actually won the science fair, was uh, a citrus hand cannon. So it was basically a spud gun, but we chose to shoot mandarin oranges. <laughs> so, and we, we gave it a crazy creative name, the citrus yes. hand cannon. <laughs> <laughs> we, our job was to make sure that Isaac didn't blow himself up. So we were the quality control mechanism in that, right? Which means we got to shoot it first. there's a story there with a video that may emerge online at some point of us shooting a spud gun from years ago with some of our some of our other lifelong friends so hopefully that will be maybe haunting a social media near you soon (laughs) with isaac though um a lot of his classmates were you had the option in the science fair to either do the scientific method or the engineering method and he was telling me you know like dad five people are doing moldy bread or (laughs) whatever it might be sure and I said, Isaac, why don't you build something? You know, so he kind of said, well, like, what do you mean build something? I said, well, like you're, the differentiator would be that you have two different options, but everybody's doing the one, but you still can do the other, right? Now, what's something that you can actually build that also too, like, you know, is not going to require hundreds of thousands of dollars to build. Like you can't build a <laughs> Tesla. <laughs> I mean, it'd be nice Can't build a space station. Yeah. Exactly. Is, yeah. But, but there are things that you can build. And so we arrived at, at uh, you know, a, a citrus hand cannon because it's a pretty simple design. And um, with that too, th- there's certain things it can't do. Like you're not going to have like a laser scope on it. it. It's, you got PVC pipe and like basically a barbecue lighter and some hairspray and you got to <laughs> make this thing work. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, it really forced, okay, so let's really think about this. Isaac, you know, he had to research designs and he had to research all those different kinds of things, but it was in the context of, we're not going to do any scientific experimentation. We're going to do an engineering experiment. And the goal is to make it work. Like this has to be functional and working. And that was the differentiator for him. It's like once we, once he put the constraint, like I'm only going to focus on the engineering product and then I'm going to focus on something that I can build and something that's, you know, cost constrained a little bit. He came up with that and it won the science fair for him because it forced him to focus and that really, when you have the constraints, is really a focusing mechanism, whether you like it there or not. It really helps you dial in. Yeah, because um, like it or not, like Brian says, like human beings, 
we're not naturally wired to have no constraints. There's always been constraints on us. I mean, if you want to go back to when people just kind of like hung out, <laughs> you know, there was constraints. The constraints of I need to do this or this, you know, have this or that. So that's the kind of thing like in life, in work, the constraints are great. Like when I always, uh, I'll give you this example as well. Uh, a lot of times my job revolves around a clock, a deadline, every, like everyone's does. But mine is a kind of an absolute deadline kind of clock thing. So a lot of times the boss will come up to me in the morning and say, hey, so when are you going to be done today? And I said, well, what do you want me to do? <laughs> do you want me to get all this work done? Or do you want just like part of this work done? What do you want? Do you want the time for it all to be done or the time for part of it to be done? So I'm always giving them the constraint, like saying, what do you want me to do? And that's always important and helpful to think like that, I think. <clears throat> because being unclear is being unkind. And what it does, it blows up all kinds of deadlines and all types of relationships when you're not clear on something. Like, what's the expectation? <clears throat> right. And I'll give you the time that it's going to take. Exactly. And at that point, you can actually make a real life assessment. See, a lot of times when, um, and you know, I'm a dreamer myself, and Josh and I are dreamers, and we have dreams together, which you're seeing now on Curiosity Continuum in some way, shape, or form. Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> Shine his holy light upon us. Yes. <laughs> We've we had edit, to edit that out. I don't know. <laughs> <leave that in. laughs> I want his holy light shining on all of our ideas. Josh, yeah. So. Yeah, <laughs> but Josh and I, we know how we're wired, and we know where our limitations are. You know, we know what life stage that we're in, and so we look at that very circumspectly in the way of like, going, what is actually a possibility now? Not that um, you shouldn't dream. I mean, it's important to dream. Oh, absolutely, but be realistic, but, right? But the world isn't changed by academic only exercises. It's done no. when you actually apply it, and when it's actually means something in the real world. Josh and I, it has to work in the real world. You know, yeah. like if we just, a lot of people often too, like if you think of something and it's an idea and they've even thought it through or like, yeah, I'm tomorrow I'm going to make that change. I'm going to get on that diet. I'm going to start exercising or whatever. That decision alone makes them feel like they've done something. But it, then you got to move on to the next thing to go like, now you actually got to put it. Implementation. Yeah. Implementation of a decision. <clears throat> So at that point, then you're hit with a constraint like, oh my gosh, I don't have enough time in my day unless I get up an hour early. Or uh, that's not going to work unless I pr like pre-make my meals or whatever it might be. There's real things that you have to do to make room for it in your life because we all have the same amount of time in our life. Every day. Yeah. We're all given the same amount of time. And that like, that's a constraint, you know? And so what are you doing to think about your constraints differently because you have them and as much as a lot of motivational speakers say like cast off all your restraints and who you are it's like right but like but your constraint your restraints are different than constraints so. correct and that, that's a different thing i'll tell you what uh, if you ever have ever seen me in person and josh can readily attest to this there is no way that i will ever be a contender for the strongest you know, strongest man award <laughs> in the world it's just like i'm sorry like you know those guys are warming up 
you know, with my one rep max and probably more than that, just because of, you know, I'm a They're warming guy. up with Brian's body and one arm. And <laughs> exactly. You know? A car and the other arm. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just, I will never be that guy. I right. have to understand that. And so like, how do I tune my goals around it? That's not uh, admitting defeat. But like when people say the term like your best self, it's like that statement alone tells it it's yourself. It's not somebody else. Right. And you are who you are. So the more you tune into those things, like not only who you are, but what you're not, it's going to really hyper benefit any area of your life. Yeah. And just remember that admitting that you have a constraint or realizing the constraint is also not a weakness. It's a way to find a strength um, that you're individually capable of doing. Because a lot of people, I think if you just said, hey, write a book. <laughs> They would be like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll start writing that book. For me, if I write, if I, somebody said to me to write a book, and I have sat down, I have good ideas, and about 20 minutes later, I have a short story, and that's it. I can't write a book. <laughs> so my constraint of my life is I know I can't write a book, but I have good ideas, so I would go out and find somebody that could help me with that. It's also yeah. finding the other people, knowing your weaknesses, like Brian is saying, knowing where you can't do something is a constraint. Like you have to be smart enough, not even smart enough. You have to be willing to look inside yourself and say, look, I can't do this all by myself. So what do I need from somebody else? My favorite saying about that is uh, I had a, a friend and who's also a consulting client of mine in the past. And he said about his success, I'm a frog on a fence post. He goes, when you see a frog on a fence post, you know the frog didn't get there by itself. There was help <laughs> for that frog yeah. to get there. <clears throat> and what he's done is he's allowed other people to use their strengths in a way that they're fulfilled and everything. All right, Brian, I think that's a great place to put a comment in the conversation. How about you? I think so too. Until next time, this is Brian. And this is Josh. For Curiosity Continuum. Thank mm-hmm. you.